It's now time for Radio Drama, where we perform on the stage of your mind. The curtains are your eyelashes, your hat our fly space. Different parts of your brain are the costume, set designer, and makeup artist. And your eyes are in your ear. Audio plays have been broadcast since radio began. Minus, 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 one. Join us as we continue the tradition on the Texas Radio Theater. Proton Space Ranger. Whisper. It means murder, Watson. Onward to adventure! Away! Because it's not only the theater, but it's the theater of the mind. The mind! And that's what I'm writing Jump for. Jump rod. Ready, Ready for impact in three, two, one. <sighs> Tying on the rope now. It's the realm of your imagination where anything can happen and usually does. Welcome to this broadcast of the Texas Radio Theater Company. Hi, I'm Rich Froelich, and in the next hour, you'll hear a special presentation of an audio play recorded and produced in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. Sherlock Holmes in the Case of Doyle's Diary was written by Eric Knapp and is based on characters created by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. It was recorded in Dallas and Arlington, November 2006. And now, our play. in the year 1902, when I received a curious summons from my good friend and colleague, Mr. Sherlock Holmes. My dear Watson, if you'd be so kind as to join me at Baker Street this morning, I may be able to reacquaint you with an old friend who needs our help. I shall expect you at 11. Holmes. My practice had been progressing quite nicely, and I was just returning with my wife from a holiday in Scotland. Holmes had been ensconced in Baker Street and our correspondence had dwindled noticeably of late. So it was with rather a bit of excitement that I found myself free to visit him, especially concerning an old acquaintance of mine whom he mentioned. Good morning, Mrs. Hudson. Dr. Watson, as I live and breathe, oh, it's been too long. And how are you doing, Mrs. Hudson? Oh, tolerably well, Doctor, only tolerable. He's been in such a state recently, driving us all mad, he is. And the smell from his room. Mrs. Hudson, is that Watson? As you can see, Doctor. Not much has changed, it would appear, during my absence. Watson, upstairs. I need you. Unfortunately not. Quickly, Watson. I'd best hurry, Mrs. Hudson. I'll bring up some fresh tea momentarily. Oh, it's certainly good to have you back. Good morning. Holmes. Good heavens. Watson, quickly, pour the tea on that table. Well done, Watson. Your timely presence may have just precluded a rather significant discharge. What was that, Holmes? A simple experiment gone slightly awry. Frankly, I am at a loss to explain where it went wrong. Well, you could have blown yourself to bits, Holmes. More likely, I would have blown the entire house to bits, Watson. The entire house? Oh. 
Here's the tea, Doctor, as promised. Uh, uh, I believe that Watson is more in favor of a drink slightly more bracing than your excellent tea, Mrs. Hudson. Please, leave the tray and thank you. Very good, Mr. Holmes. By the by, I believe your sleeve is smoldering. So it is. May I trouble you for that tea? Thank you, Mrs. Hudson. Shall I bring up more tea, Mr. Holmes? Not just at present, thank you. Oh, Mrs. Hudson, I'm expecting a visitor shortly. If you could bring him up when he arrives. Yes, Mr. Holmes. Now, Watson, have you sufficiently recovered? Or do you require whiskey? The whole house? Whiskey it is. Here, drink this. You may try and sip this next one. I will need you at your best for our interview. Oh, yes. Interview. An acquaintance of yours, which I believe I mentioned. That is why I requested you be present when he arrives. Of course, Holmes. Always happy to be of service. Whom, may I ask, are we expecting? Ah, that should be him now, unless I am very much mistaken. I shall let him present himself. Come in, Mrs. Hudson. Mr. Holmes, this is... Arthur Doyle. <laughs> John Watson, I'd hoped you'd be here when I decided to contact Mr. Holmes. How are you, Jack? Oh, very well, Arthur. Very well. Uh, and fr- you? Frankly, that's what I'm here to see Mr. Holmes about. Will there be anything else, Mr. Holmes? I believe some fresh tea may be in order, Mrs. Hudson. Of course it will. Now, seeing as that all the pleasantries have been dispensed with... Perhaps you could elucidate the good doctor and myself as to the nature of your visit, Mr. Doyle. Of course. I'm here because a rather sensitive document in my possession has come up missing. I fear it has been stolen. And what might this document be? My journal. Your journal. I fear you may misunderstand my profession, Mr. Doyle. Uh, No, Mr. Holmes. I'm afraid it is I who are misunderstood... It is not the private reminiscences of an old fool I'm worried to have fallen into strange hands. Uh, Believe me, if that were the thief's aims, he stands to be sorely disappointed and more than a little bored. Then why, pray tell, did you bring such a minor matter to my attention? I did not say the document was wholly without import, Mr. Holmes, to both myself and the Empire. How so? As you may know, I've been involved with the government's efforts in South Africa. Yes, it is obvious that you've only just returned. Obvious? Another trifle, Mr. Doyle. You were describing your involvement in the Boer War. Uh, Yes, I'm involved in some small way, and having just returned, as you say, made several observations in my journal concerning our efforts and Britain's place in this conflict. And you fear... If the journal has been stolen... It could severely compromise certain of those efforts. And when did you notice the book missing? Uh, Just this morning, when I arrived. I believe it was stolen at the station. Your tea, Mr. Holmes. Thank you, Mrs. Hudson. Please, set it down. Shall I douse you with it again, sir? It's no trouble. That won't be necessary. Thank you. Now, Mr. Doyle... As to your situation... Uh, Please do not underestimate the gravity of this request, Mr. Holmes. It may seem a trifle to you, but I can assure you I would not waste either of our time, unless the matter was quite urgent. I do appreciate your position, Mr. Doyle, and you have my assurance that I will give the matter its due diligence. 
In the meantime, my suggestion is, given the hour, you allow Dr. Watson to take you to lunch. If that is agreeable to the good doctor. I'd be delighted, Arthur. And when may I expect an answer from you, Mr. Holmes? I shall make a few inquiries of my own, and you will know my mind on the subject by tomorrow morning. Is that acceptable? I would appreciate all haste, Mr. Holmes. Then I would suggest, to expedite matters, you and Watson leave me to my inquiries. Of course, Mr. Holmes, and thank you. Come with me, Arthur. I know a place nearby that serves a stout stew and an even stouter ale. <laughs> Lead the way. Watson, if I could trouble you to linger for just a moment. Of course, Holmes. Arthur, I shall meet you downstairs momentarily. Of course. Good day, Mr. Holmes. Watson, what do you think of our guest? Oh, a stout fellow, Holmes. Always a bit fanciful for my taste, but quite an athlete in school. Athlete? Cricket and rugby, mostly, and a fair boxer as well. Solid, but not spectacular. Ah. If you're asking for my estimation of the man, Holmes, I would say that Arthur Doyle is not a man given to hyperbole and rash behavior. If he sees the matter as urgent, you may trust his judgment. I see. Well, Watson, your friend is waiting. Far be it from me to keep you from a stout ale. If it is not too much trouble, could you stop back after lunch? Of course, Holmes. Till then. Till then. And, Watson. Yes, Holmes. It is good to have you back. If you ask me, Jack, he's a man of particular habits. I have not had as much time to visit him of late. My practice has been going exceedingly well. Uh, you should bring your wife out to the country. We would love to have you, and I'm sure you would welcome the break. And the salmon fishing. Well, I have just returned from Scotland and that very thing. But um, I may be due for another constitutional toward the holidays. Well, the invitation stands at your convenience. Tell me about South Africa. I must say, given your political bent in the past, I'm surprised your energies are not spent on the poor, indigent Boers. King and country first, Arthur. A patriot to the core. To the king. The king! Do you think your man Holmes will come through? If you mean, can he recover your diary, I can think of no man more capable. But, you're about to say but. I can see it in your face, Jack. <laughs> You read me like a book. To be frank, I think, he, I think he was hoping your case would turn out to be somewhat more dramatic. Dramatic? For all his brusque, I believe Holmes to be something of a romantic at heart. Do you think that may be true? Well, wishful thinking on my part, perhaps. Now, where's that barmaid? May I confide in you, Jack? About what? I told Holmes the truth. There is very sensitive information contained in that journal about troops and supply deployments, and that is the government's primary reason for desiring its return. It is not, however, my primary reason. And what is? Jack, these past few years, I've been researching certain texts and personal accounts, and I've come across a great deal of evidence... Yes? Uh, evidence that I believe suggests, in no uncertain terms, 
the existence and proliferation of certain beings. Beings of a more or less supernatural nature. Meaning? Meaning the Fae. I may not have understood you correctly, Arthur. Are you to mean little people? The Fae. Little people. Fairy folk, if you will. Yes, I believe I may have discovered proof of the existence of fairies. Am I un to understand you're asking Holmes to help you prove the existence of fairies? Actually, I'm asking Holmes to help me find my journal. Arthur. Uh, forget I mentioned the whole thing, Jack. Are you serious? Quite serious. And if you had seen what I have seen, then you would be quite serious as well. I don't believe Holmes will appreciate being tricked into something so fanciful. And I don't believe I am tricking him into anything of the sort. My request, as I laid out to him, was completely legitimate. I only bring up this side issue because I thought it might be a useful tool to help convince him to act in my interests. I can assure you it would not. Then I will not mention the matter again. I think that is perhaps the most prudent thing you've said so far. And I would appreciate your not bringing it up. If you are convinced, it would only further dissuade Holmes. I do not, as a rule, keep things from Holmes. But if he fails to mention it, then I can see no reason to burden him with the information. Thank you, Jack. Of course, Arthur. Now, tell me more of what you discovered in South Africa. Believe it or not, I've considered going over there myself. Well played, as always. Thank you, Watson. But I may have been slightly off in the bridge. However, I could hardly expect an untrained ear to notice such a minor failing. Humble as always, I see, Holmes. I detest false humility, Watson. It's pretentious. In fact, I detest falsehoods of any sort, as you can imagine. Of course. Take our friend Doyle, for instance. How do you mean? It appears that he has been less than completely honest with us. I see. And how do you gather that? During my inquiries, of course. I have been specifically requested by Mycroft, and through him, His Majesty, to offer Mr. Doyle whatever assistance he may require. I see. And would you have offered your help without government mandate? Most likely, I suppose. And while this may not seem as glamorous as I would hope, it does offer a few details that should keep my faculties from atrophy, that I am not at all impressed with our client. Oh, for, for what reason? Bear in mind, I hold no prejudice or grudge against the man, but I sense there is something fanciful about his manner, something that I find distinctly off-putting. I'm sorry to hear it. No matter. Did he offer anything of relevance to you during your lunch? Nothing, well, nothing pertinent to the case. Unfortunate. There was one item of interest, however. And what was that? While I was on the telephone with Mycroft, 
I got the distinct sense that he was overwhelmingly amused by something. Well, I can't imagine what he could have been. You mean neither? Hmm. Oh, well. No matter. Mycroft's eccentricities aside, I suppose we should start on your friend's case. May I rely on your assistance, my dear Watson? Of course. I wouldn't miss it. Excellent. Where to first? I suggest we pay a visit to our new client and see if there was anything else he may have seen fit to hide from us. Come along, Watson. I doubt he even knows the book is gone, Mr. Gruber. No, I believe that would constitute wishful thinking, Eddie. According to the entries, he seems to have referenced the material quite often. What does it say? What, you didn't read it after you stole it? More area of expertise ain't in book reading so much. Never learned how. That's interesting. Why? You brought it straight to me. Yeah, Maxie suggested you might be the best person to talk to. Yeah, good for Maxie. So, uh, does it say some important stuff? Let's say I know of some people who will find the comments of some value. In fact, I'd be much surprised if Mr Doyle himself weren't quite keen for its return. <laughs> some of the insights could prove quite damaging. Does he have himself a little chippy on the side, huh? No, nothing so carnal. No, suffice to say, my people would be very interested in casting aspersions on anything Mr. Dorr might have to say regarding our current situation. And you may have provided the means for Dorr doing just that, on top of a few military tidbits we weren't aware of. Yes, overall, Eddie... I'd say congratulations are most certainly in order. So you're going to buy it? Well, what do you think of this? <gasps> Lord love a duck! It's beautiful! Heavens, Eddie, you're a poet. There are four more diamonds of equal beauty where that one came from. Would that properly compensate you for the journal? Oh, that and more, Mr. Gruber. Of course you know... Included in the payment is your silence concerning our arrangement. Any breach of that trust, Eddie, will prove quite costly indeed. Is that clear? As clear as these diamonds, Mr. Gruber. And you don't have to worry on that account. It'll never leave my gums. Charming. Thank you, Eddie. A pleasure. Oh, Eddie, one more thing. Yes, Mr. Gruber. Are you really that good of a thief? In all modesty, Mr. Gruber, there ain't none better. <laughs> and you can't read? Not a word. Why? Well, it occurs to me that such a combination would make an excellent agent. Agent? Have you ever considered the game of espionage, Eddie? Es espionage what? Spying. Spying. I believe that oh. with the proper training, you could be quite good at it. The weather had turned to its usual London drizzle as Holmes and I made our way to Arthur's rooms. Holmes was characteristically quiet on the journey, and his eyes darted constantly to and fro, registering and cataloguing all that he beheld. Despite his apparent misgivings about our client's nature, misgivings that were ultimately well-founded, I could tell he was happy to be once again about his business. I have mentioned many times before that it is at times of inactivity that my fears for him are at their strongest. Never has the saying, an idle mind is the devil's workshop, 
be more apropos than when concerning my old friend. Doyle's lodgings were simple but comfortable, well away from the main thoroughfare. When we rang at the door, it was answered by the man himself. Gentlemen, please come in, and thank you for coming. I do hope we're not inconveniencing you with our visit. Of course not. I'm relieved you're here. Then let us see if we can make some headway in your case. That would be wonderful, Mr. Holmes. Then begin at the train station, and omit no detail, no matter how trivial it may seem. I never saw or felt anything. It could have been anyone. Who knew you were coming to London? A few members of the government, and my family. The press was not aware of my return, so there was thankfully no one to meet me at the station. And where was the journal? I keep it in a satchel on my person. I was recounting some thoughts on the train, so I know it was with me at that point. And did the satchel ever leave your person at the train station? Not that I recall. It occurs to me, Holmes, that this may have been a completely random bit of thievery. I do not believe in the random occurrence of events, Watson. Oh. And given these circumstances, a random theft hardly seems likely. Given the facts thus far, it hardly seems anything but random. Consider, Watson... Mr. Doyle is quite famous, and despite the fact that his arrival was not publicized, one can surely surmise that he was recognized. Uh, wait, now that you mention it, there was one young boy who, who asked if I might sign his paper for him. I placed the satchel down to do so. That must have been when the journal was taken. Aha! Describe the boy. There was, unfortunately, not much to differentiate the boy from any other... In all humility, I get several of these requests, and they tend to meld together. The details, Mr. Doyle, always make note of the details. I hardly expected the boy of being a conspirator to theft, Mr. Holmes. Yes, but that is, without a doubt, exactly what he was. <laughs> Do you find this conclusion humorous, Mr. Doyle? Not at all, Mr. Holmes. Quite the opposite, in fact. I believe you to be completely correct in your hypothesis. It's just that you remind me of a former teacher at medical school, Dr. Joseph Bell. Do you remember him, Jack? You were his clerk, were you not? Indeed. He was also fond of the details and had a keen deductive mind. So you believe the thief used the boy as a distraction to steal the journal? I believe that is exactly what happened, Watson. Hmm. And if we don't have a description of the boy, how will we find him? That shall prove to be... If you'll pardon the phrase, child's play. How so? There must be hundreds of urchins on the streets. Have no fear, Arthur. Holmes has his own urchin army at his disposal. They'll bring the boy to ground. I will get Winston and the lads on the case post-haste. Watson, if you and Mr. Doyle will perform another small task for me this evening... Of course, Holmes. Whatever you need. Mr. Doyle? I would prefer anything to simply waiting here. Excellent. I don't believe the task should prove arduous, but if my thinking is correct, it may prove fruitful. What is the task? I shall explain it to you both on the way. For now, let us hurry. I believe time to be supremely of the essence. You best take that back if you know what's good for you. Oh, I won't be taking back nothing. They would shoot plain as a nose on your face. Watch your, your garb face. or your next crack will be your last. 
I don't know what you're getting your knickers all in a twist for, mate. What do you care if some little bit of fluff is showing her ankles in the back room? <laughs> that little bit of fluff is my wife! Oh, well, they were as lovely ankles, to be sure! Are you sure Holmes knows what he's doing, sending us here? Well, I admit it's a bit surreal, uh, rough and tumble, but I'm sure Holmes knows best. What's our man look like again? Well, a man of seedy aspect. Ginger hair and a scar that runs from his left ear to his nose. Aside from the scar, and including it in an abnormal number of cases, that could be anyone here. But Holmes seems sure our man would surface. I never did say thank you for your help in all this, Jack. Actually, Holmes made up his mind to assist before I even made it back to Baker Street. With a little help from His Majesty, of course. I had hoped to have the situation resolved before they knew of it. There is little that Holmes's brother is not immediately made aware of. Still, I had hoped to avoid any embarrassment. I can certainly understand why. Don't be so quick to dismiss this as folly, Jack. If you had seen what I've seen... Have you actually seen one? No, but I sincerely believe I will, someday. Then what has you so convinced, Arthur? I believe you to be a fully rational man, if someone given to peculiarity. <laughs> well, it, it started with just basic research for a story I wish to write. Suddenly I found myself fascinated as the evidence became overwhelming. There was so much incidence and coincidence in the stories and folklore. Finally, I sought out people who had claimed to have made contact, so I could hear their tales. I should think tales would be a most appropriate word. Of course, some of them were completely round the bend, Jack, but not all. Hmm. Certainly not all. Many were as sane and cogent as you and I. I spoke once to a sergeant who was in Afghanistan. He swears that his squad was once led out of enemy territory by a gathering of lighted wisps, who turned out to be tiny-winged people. You can visit him and he will show you corroborative messages from others in his squad. It could all be poppycock, of course, and an elaborate hoax for some unknown purpose, but if you talk to him, you cannot help but be convinced of the man's veracity. I've seen too much, I suppose, to be so easily swayed from a lifelong held opinion. Pity. Perhaps the world would be a brighter place if the existence of fairies were commonplace and not an automatic sign of derangement. Uh, I never said I thought you were deranged. Of course not, Jack. I I'm only teasing an old friend. <laughs> Say, describe our man again. A man of seedy aspect, ginger hair, and a scar that runs from his left ear to his nose. Well, if that doesn't describe the man that just walked in, I'm completely blind. Oh, yes, I see him. I do believe we have our man, Arthur. What do we do with him? Holmes said to keep an eye on him and try to follow him if he leaves. Discreetly, of course. Of course. <coughs> Excuse me, gents. Might I interest you in a bit of a card trick? Guaranteed to amaze. Good heavens. Is that smell coming from you? It might be. It might be. Best light a hand, Gov. Just a copper! Honestly, my good man, I don't think we could stand the proximity for that long. Uh, take a copper anyway, but we'll pass on the trick. Yeah. Yeah, now, look who it is. You're that writer fella, aren't you? 
Doyle or whatnot. I'm afraid you must be mistaken. No, sir. You're mistaken if you come to this place for a quiet drink. Still, I'll keep my one good eye out for you. Make sure you don't come to any harm. Oh, I don't think that will be necessary. Here, lads. Look who we got in our midst. His worship, the great Arthur Conan Doyle. In what, what right, all them books and whatnot. Lift your glasses, lads. Hip, hip. Hooray! <laughs> Arthur, we have to go. Our man is making for the door. Let's go, then. Hip, hip. Hey! Here now, you ain't leaving, are you? I'm sure the lads would be proud to buy you a drink. Maybe me as well. Sorry, we really have to go. Oh, really, Mastin Shish? You insist? Why, you insufferable old lout? Take your stench and leave us be. It's no way to speak to a veteran and whatnot. Jack, he's leaving. I'll speak more sternly and with my stick if you do not remove yourself from our path at once. You should be ashamed of yourself, Watson, taking oh. a stick to your obvious elders. What the devil? Although in this particular case, I can understand your frustration. Holmes, is that you? It is indeed. <laughs> what is going on? This monstrosity is Holmes in another of his dreadful disguises. Dreadful? Monstrosity? Especially that stench. What is it? A rather pungent mixture of mud and horse dung. Oh. I created it myself. You created a mixture of mud and horse dung? A few vagrants of my acquaintance smell like roses, Mr. Doyle. Regardless, your interference may have allowed our man to escape. Immaterial, my dear Watson. I know exactly who our quarry is and where he resides. As a matter of fact, if we take a hansom... We can likely be there waiting for him when he arrives. Well, then, let us take a carriage instead. Something covered will allow you the privacy of getting out of that horrid outfit and into something more civilized. Assuming that satchel you carry has a change of clothes, of course. Is it really as bad as all that? Yes. yes. Well, then a carriage it is. And if we hurry, we may have Mr. Doyle's journal returned to him within the hour. I know of several pickpockets and thieves that make the train station their primary workplace. There are but a few who go so far as to use children as their accomplices. How deplorable. Yes, but it does make our job easier. How so? Winston is well connected with some of these unfortunate lads in question, having once been one himself before my interference. It was but a very quick matter for him to discover the lad we were looking for. For the price of a shilling, and a stern talking to from Winston, the little nipper led us to one Eddie Peters, a thief of no repute, who seems to have overstepped his usual mediocrity. Such is my luck, I'm afraid. He was one of my primary suspects from the beginning, which is why I sent you two to one of his more frequented taverns. There was no need for your disguise, Holmes. We had him. Of course. That was never in doubt, my dear Watson. The problem was Peters himself. In what way? Peters, once ensconced in the pub, is loath to leave unless the place burns down around him. Had I not spurred him to action by revealing Mr. Doyle's presence, it was most likely that you two would have been imprisoned there long past the point of usefulness. 
I see. I, for one, heartily thank you, Mr. Holmes. I had only the best wishes of Mrs. Doyle and Watson in mind. Do you really think we shall retrieve my journal, Mr. Holmes? To be honest, I consider those odds to be somewhat long. But I do believe Mr. Peters can point us directly at our next target. That is wonderful news. We shall know soon enough. We have arrived at Mr. Peters' unfortunate hovel. Quickly. husband will come up there and take it out of your hide. Shut your trap, you stupid old witch. Tomorrow morning I might just buy this flea bag and throw you and your men out on your father. And how might you accomplish that, Eddie? Holy mother! Who are you and how'd you get in here? I'm sure that even in this dim light you recognize one of us. From the train station... Let me formally introduce you to Arthur Conan Doyle. I believe you have a certain book that belongs to him. This is Dr. Watson, and my name is Sherlock Holmes. Bloody hell! Bloody hell indeed. Do you still have the book, Eddie? Uh, the, the what? This will all go so much better for you if you still have the book. <laughs> what book? Oh dear. He's going to be difficult. Please, Eddie, don't insult my intelligence. All right, I took it, but it's already gone. That is unfortunate. No, I never read it. I just sold it, I swear. Simple enough. Take us to the man you sold it to, and all's well that ends well. Oh, I can't. Uh, he said he'd kill me if I did. And you consider a life in prison preferable to a quick death? Yeah. You see, gentlemen, this is the basic problem with today's criminal mind. They have no grasp of the long term. Well, I suppose if they did, they would not have chosen to be criminals. I'm afraid I must disagree, Watson, but that oh. is certainly a discussion for another time. Hmm. The situation does, however, force me to amend my methods. What are you two talking about? You have placed me in a rather unenviable position, Eddie. But I am a pragmatic man. I have come here, at my government's request, mind you, to accomplish the simple goal of retrieving Mr. Doyle's possessions. I had hoped to do so quietly, but I am sure I have His Majesty's blessing to fulfill my mission as I see fit. Do you have your stick, Doctor? You know I do, Holmes. Uh, Mr. Doyle, Watson tells me you were something of a boxer in your university days. Perhaps not on a circuit level, but I could certainly hold my own. How long has it been since your last bout? Too long, Mr. Holmes. My knuckles positively itch. And might I add that I am eager, very eager, for the return of my property? Oh, there's, there's no need for violence, uh, Mr. Holmes. There's not. Pity. I, I, I'll take you to him. The man to whom you sold the journal? Yeah. Excellent. Shall we go? Wait a minute. Before we go, I have a few demands of my own. And what makes you believe that you are in any position to make demands, Eddie? I'm not the fool you take me for, Mr. Holmes. That is difficult to imagine, Eddie. You can threaten me all you like, but I know enough to know you want the book more than you want me. And the more I hurt, the less I talk. 
Simply for the sake of argument, what might your demands consist of? I want protection. I don't want to end up dead. That can be easily arranged. And I need something kept safe while I'm away. While you're away? Don't you insult my intelligence. My apologies. What do you need kept safe? What I got for his book. Surely it could not be worth all that. <laughs> so much you know. I'll be set for life once I get out. Really? I didn't tell you what was in the book. Apparently, not everything. Well, whatever was in there, they paid me a ransom for it. Military secrets? Oh, he said it was more personal than that. I thought he might have him a little piece on the side, but uh, I don't think that was it. Something embarrassing to Mr. Doyle. And you never read it? Not possible if you catch my drift. Of course. And what exactly did you have in mind for the safekeeping of this treasure of yours? I want you to hold them. Pardon? I want you. I know you'll give them back after I'm done with the king's hospitality. Very well. You certainly are not the fool I took you for. Anything else? I suppose that would cover it. And what are these goods I'm to be in receipt of? These. Good heavens. Good heavens indeed. Very well, Eddie. I shall keep these for as long as you are incarcerated. I shall make no guarantee of their safety, but you have my word. I shall do my best. That will be good enough for me. Holmes, this is the king's ransom in diamonds. Indeed it is, Watson. Mr. Doyle, it would appear that whatever you have written in your journal, someone finds it enormously worthwhile. Any ideas on what military trifle could be worth so much? I doubt that it is the military secrets therein that they find so appealing. What might it be? Perhaps we could discuss this in a more appropriate venue. Very well, Mr. Doyle. We shall glean whatever information Eddie has to offer, and then, before I take one more step, regardless of the wishes of His Majesty, I will know the truth of this matter. As we made our way back to Baker Street, Holmes said not a word. Even my limited powers of deduction could ascertain he was not pleased with the discovery of Arthur's deception. Not wishing in any way to trivialize his feelings on the matter, I decided a silent passage was a prudent decision. The overall effect was unsettling for myself and Doyle, and only served, in my opinion, to heighten the tension. Holmes stopped the cab at one point and we waited as he spoke, quickly and curtly, to an urchin girl I recognized as one of Holmes' irregulars. The girl accepted the coin Holmes gave to her with wide eyes and ran off quickly. Holmes did not discuss what they talked about. Once we arrived at Baker Street, Holmes dismissed Mrs. Hudson and settled at once into his chair. Arthur and I exchanged glances, but neither of us could muster the courage to break the silence. Fortunately, before the atmosphere in the room became truly unbearable, Holmes deigned to speak. I would like to hear a complete explanation of the events, this time leaving out nothing. I trust that is not too much to ask while we wait. May I ask what we are waiting for? I am waiting on a full disclosure of why Mr. Gruber saw fit to pay such an exorbitant fee for what I was led to believe were barely more than trivial reminiscences. Holmes, it's all right, Jack. I think the time has come for Mr. Holmes to know the truth, especially if the telling will produce a more rapid conclusion to this affair. Oh, very well, Arthur. 
I'm so glad we all agree. I, I believe Gruber is willing to pay such a price because he sees an opportunity to discredit my name and therefore cast aspersions on a treatise I was asked to write in regards to His Majesty's position in South Africa. I sincerely hope my time has not been wasted merely to keep a few indiscretions from reaching the press. Holmes, uh, certainly not the type of indiscretion you seem to have in mind, Mr. Holmes. My follies are of a less seedy nature, but nevertheless could place me in public ridicule. Ridicule? On what grounds? I espouse, through my writing, beliefs that, if they were made public, could be used to denounce my perceptions and possibly my sanity. Oh, I shouldn't think it would go as far as that. And what were your private thoughts on the matter when I presented it to you, Jack? I never questioned your sanity. Not within my hearing. A kindness I appreciate. Arthur. Uh, please, Jack, your reaction was among the most subdued I've endured. My American friend, Harry Houdini, was positively rude and would not speak to me for six months. Have you heard of him? Of course. He, too, has been among my clientele, but that is a story for another time. Please, go on, and I beg of you, quickly, come to the point. Very well. Over the course of several months, through my research and study, I have come to believe in the existence and proliferation among us of the beings commonly referred to as fairies. Fairies? Yes, if taken in context and as a whole, the evidence is quite frankly overwhelming. And you believe this is the information Gruber plans to use to discredit you? I can think of no other possible reason. And your reason for neglecting to mention this before? Vanity, Mr. Holmes. Plain and simple. I needed your help and did not think you would condescend to helping a madman. Did it not occur to you that madmen make up a significant number of the people I do help? A fact I can corroborate. And I must admit, I did not desire for you or Jack to think of me in such a manner. As I said, vanity. I may not have taken your case, Mr. Doyle, but not because I deem you unstable. As a general rule, I choose not to involve myself in cases of a personal nature. In my defense, there was an equal amount of criminal intent. I doubt Mr. Gruber would be paying such a healthy sum just for the potential movements of a few troops, nor should I say his government. Government? I believe that when we find Gruber, we will be able to link him directly to the South African government. A spy? Of course. And so we must act huh. quickly. We will find time to reminisce about our private subterfuges after we have completed the task at hand. Agreed. What must we do? I have already set events in motion. And unless I miss my guess, that knocking shall bring an answer to your question. A young thing to see you, Mr. Holmes, and it has already trampled mud upon the carpet. An unfortunate price to pay, Mrs. Hudson. Please, show him in. Ah, oh, Billy... And what news do you have for me? Winston's got him, sir. He's heading for the docks. Winston said he'd slow him up, but you'd best be hurrying along. Then hurry we shall. Uh, Mrs. Hudson. Mr. Holmes. Here is a shilling for Billy's trouble. He may have it after you are satisfied that your carpet is clean of mud. Yes, Mr. Holmes. Come along, Billy. Oh, Mr. Holmes, do I have to? Indeed you do, Billy. You know the rules. All right, I suppose. And now, gentlemen, quickly... The game's afoot, and our quarry has a significant head start. 
It seems obvious now, but when did you first suspect South Africa was the true culprit in this case? From the moment Mycroft insisted I become involved. My brother is somewhat of a busybody, but I doubt even he would insinuate himself unless the stakes were considerably higher than the observations of a lone writer. I apologize once again, Mr. Holmes. It was never my intention to deceive you. That was your intention entirely. But the issue is moot at this point. We are committed... And whether or not we are successful, we shall know within 20 minutes. Where are we headed, Holmes? The South Docks. There is a ship leaving for Johannesburg, and I believe we will find our man Gruber on it. So, despite you saying you would not take further action, you had Winston run ahead and spy on the spy? Precisely. (laughs) I should have known you would not abandon the case so easily. I did consider it, but ultimately, it seemed like a waste. Ah, I believe I see Winston rushing in our direction. Let's see what the boy has to say. Mr. Holmes! Mr. Holmes! Winston, lad, what do you have for me? He he boarded a ship just a few minutes ago. I watched him head towards the front end. Well, whatever it's called. The bow, Winston. Oh, yeah, yeah, the bow. I don't think he knew I was following him. Excellent. Show us the way he went. Watson, if you would be so good as to enlist the nearest Bobby to our cause and meet us at the ramp. Right away, Holmes. Well, this way, Doyle. Winston? I don't care if you're the bloody Duke of Wales. You don't get on this ship unless you have a ticket. Blast it, man. You have a thief among your passengers. That's what you say, sir. Holmes, can we use force? I don't believe that will be necessary. Here comes Watson with our constabulary. What seems to be the problem? (laughs) These men are trying to board this ship without a ticket. There is a thief on board. That's what this man has said? Do you have any proof? The proof is with the thief. Officer, do you recognize me? You look a little like my wife's uncle. My name is Sherlock Holmes. (laughs) Is it now? It is indeed. And you have my assurance that if you allow us to do our work, you will be able to add a thief and possibly an international spy to your arrest record. A thief and a spy. Well, well, well. My word as a gentleman. How long until this bucket sails? (coughs) Ten minutes. That gives you five, Mr. Holmes, if that is your real name. Stay with me, and we'll go get this thief of yours. Any of you lot wander off, and there will be an arrest sure enough. Understood? Crystal clear, my good man. Shall we go? Lead the way. Time is running out, Mr. Holmes. Are you sure you know where you're going? I believe this lad scrambling towards us should be able to point us in the right direction. Hey, scarpered, Mr. Holmes. He must have spotted me and gave me the slip. Do you know which direction he was headed, Winston? The only way he could have gone was up. Or maybe down. That is not very helpful, Winston. Oh, sorry, Mr. Holmes. Gentlemen, our prey has temporarily eluded us. I suggest... There, there he is, Mr. Holmes. I see him by that railing. After him, Winston. Keep him in sight. Holmes, how did Winston get on board? He sneaked past the purser while Mr. Doyle was busy threatening him. (laughs) Those who are enamored with their own authority rarely take notice of those beneath that authority. A trait that has proven useful on many occasions. It looks as though he's heading toward the top deck. Agreed. 
Officer, if you will circle around that way, we may be able to surround him up top. All right, I'm on it. Winston, you'd best go with him. It looks as though he was not built for speed. Yes, sir, Mr. Holmes. Once on deck, he'll have nowhere to run, Holmes. Unless he opts for the sea, Watson. You don't think he would go overboard, do you? We shall know soon enough. Up these stairs, and we shall have him. There he goes, Holmes, towards that gangway. Wait. I have him. I'd be most anxious to vent my frustration. You... You must be Doyle. I believe you have something of mine. Well struck, Arthur. I told you he was a boxer, Holmes. And so he is. Arsenal, I have him. He's off, I say. Here is your thief, officer. He's stolen a particular book of mine. Your book, your journal. He's long gone, Doyle. I was merely a distraction. What do you mean? I mean the book and all its information, fantastic and otherwise, is safely on its way. And there's nothing you can do to stop it. <laughs> Holmes, can he be telling the truth? We shall search his person and belongings, but I fear it may well be the case. Five minutes to sail. All ashore is going ashore. Five minutes to sail. All ashore. You are Mr. Gruber, no doubt. Uh, of course I am. And did you expect to get away? Well, I gave myself only a slim chance of escape when I noticed the urchin dogging me. You know, he has quite a career ahead of him if your brother has ever gotten a hold of him. I believe he has his cap set for a political career. Don't you, Winston? From your lips to God's ears, Mr. Holmes. I'll take it that you were able to speak to Peters. I'm not sure who you are talking about. Nevertheless, you've sentenced him to death. He is under my brother's care. I do not believe you will find him. We shall see. That small matter shall fall to someone else. My part's done. The journal's gone. So, all this has been for nothing? We have apprehended an enemy of the Crown, Doyle. That hardly constitutes nothing. Now, your journal should prove most interesting to your stodgy English peers. Hey, Doyle? <laughs> Perhaps it would have. <laughs> I beg your pardon. I intend to see it to it that it no longer matters. I have come to find over the course of this adventure that the effort to try and hide this belief has proved far more troublesome than the potential harm to my reputation could ever be. And are you sure that Arthur Conan Doyle, the quintessential Englishman, can withstand the humiliation of being called a lunatic? I uh have been called far worse. And I'm sure there will be worse to come. If I am the quintessential Englishman, then let me stand before my fate as any decent Englishman would. As a man. Bravo, Doyle. Now, let us be away. It would do none of us any good to be caught at sea on the way to South Africa. Especially you, Mr. Gruber. Officer, I promised you an arrest. Shall we see him properly ensconced at Scotland Yard? Six months had passed, and things had returned to normal. I was back at my practice, and according to Mrs. Hudson, Holmes was busier than ever. Gruber had been found guilty of spying, and would be spending the rest of his days behind bars. 
I think Mycroft Holmes interceded on his behalf to keep him from execution in the hopes that he would prove useful in some future enterprise. Peters received two years for theft but was spared a charge of treason, I suspect also due to the intervention of the brothers Holmes. Doyle had written his observations in a pamphlet called The War in South Africa, Its Causes and Conduct. This treatise had a galvanizing effect that placed the whole of England in favor of the Crown's effort, and for this he was awarded a knighthood. Holmes, Mrs. Hudson, and myself had been invited to attend the ceremony which, for all its pomp and circumstance, left a rather empty feeling in the pit of my stomach, knowing that, if not for Holmes, who received scarce credit in the matter, it would never have occurred. Well, I thought that was just lovely. Uh, I must confess, I've always looked forward to attending one of those. The king looked very regal and handsome, I thought. I believe that's what kings are supposed to do. Oh, careful, Holmes. Such cheek will only delay your own ceremony. Oh, heaven forbid. There'll be no living with them after that. Your delicate sensibilities are safe for the time being, Mrs. Hudson. I assure you. I have no intention of inflicting myself on His Majesty's order. Surely if the question was ever brought up, you would change your mind. The question has already been brought up, and my reply was an emphatic, no thank you. Holmes. Twice. For what possible reason? I would have thought it would be a great honor, the pinnacle of your career. For a career to reach its pinnacle suggests a downhill journey thereafter, I am far too young to have reached my declining years. Holmes, you know full well what I mean. Oh, talk some sense into him, Mrs. Hudson. Oh, Doctor, I gave up on that idea ages ago. Since you think so highly of the institution, Watson, I shall speak in your favor when next I meet with Mycroft. Oh, well, Holmes, I, I didn't mean... Truly? <laughs> oh, well... I would have thought such childish behavior would be beneath you. My sincerest apologies, my dear Watson. I had no idea the thought of it meant so much to you. Oh, I should think it would mean something to you as well. My work takes mm. me into all levels of our great society, Watson, mm. from the lowest of our rough sleepers to His Majesty himself. The only reason I am effective is because my neutrality is accepted by all parties. Oh, well, I must confess, I see your point. Thank you. Uh, would either of you two great chums care for a spot of tea? Uh, I think tea would be splendid, Mrs. Hudson. Very well. I shan't be a moment. It was nice to see Arthur get his honours, though. Well deserved, I'm sure. Holmes, may I ask you a question? You, of course, wish to know if I believe Doyle may have been correct in his beliefs. Uh, how did you know? Elementary, my dear Watson. And do you? I can honestly say I have not given the matter one ounce of thought. Oh, surely, Holmes. Do you remember, Watson, during the first weeks of our association, you once expressed astonishment that I was ignorant of the composition of our solar system. Uh, I remember it was some border dash about filling up an empty attic or some such. <laughs> I said that the mind had a limited amount of space. And to fill that space with trivialities may force out some more needed knowledge in the future. But surely, fairies... Mean not a deuce to me, Watson. The absolute definition of trivial. Whether they exist or not has never and will not affect my work or methods nary a wit. And I doubt very much they ever shall. Unless Queen Mab herself stands before me asking me to solve a case. And you don't see that happening? If it does... 
I shall welcome her as I do all my illustrious clients, Watson, with panache and utter reverence. Well, if you're not even going to take the question seriously... <laughs> and what do you think, old man? Of what? Fairies. Oh, well, poppycock, of course, Holmes. Pure poppycock. Then I shall, for the sake of civility, adopt your perspective, Jack. May I call you Jack? And I presume I may call you Sherlock? I much prefer that you didn't. And now I must confess myself to be absolutely ravenous. At the risk of forestalling Mrs. Hudson's excellent tea, what do you say to dinner at Stamford's? I can easily be persuaded. Excellent. Well, shall we go, then? Lead the way, Holmes. Lead the way. You've been listening to Sherlock Holmes and the Case of Doyle's Diary, written by Eric Knapp with Richard Froelich and produced by the Texas Radio Theater Company. It was made possible in cooperation with the Arlington Museum of Art and by your support and generous contributions. Our executive producer is Shannon Froelich. Our production manager is Ken Rainey. Original music was composed by Lucian Desar, violin solo by Howard Geisel. The play was engineered and directed by Richard Froelich. Live sound effects were created by Ken Rainey and Larry Groby. At this time, we'd like to invite the cast back to the microphones. Robert Clover Brown. Dr. John Watson. Allison Davies. Mrs. Hudson and Winston. Brian Douglas. Eddie Peters. David Grant. Sherlock Holmes. Larry Groby. Mr. Gruber and others. Richard Miller. Sir Arthur Glendoyle. And Ken Rainey with background voices. The Texas Radio Theater Company, in cooperation with the Arlington Museum of Art and this station, broadcasts, streams, and performs modern audio theater. If you'd like more information about our group, you can log on to our website at texasradiotheater.com. Hope you enjoyed listening. I'm Rich Froelich, and on behalf of our cast and crew, Thanks for tuning in.